Hello, everyone. This is the PM versus PMM podcast. It is a podcast about products and product roles. My name is Aditi. My name is Arjun, and Aditi, I am dead tired. I just got back to Toronto from a red eye flight for my sister's graduation, and it was pretty awesome. She graduated from law, and convocation ceremonies are kind of weird. Where was your convocation ceremony at, Aditi? Mine was on our football field, I think. I actually didn't go to my convocation. Oh, what? <laughs> Why not? Where were you? I didn't go to my convocation or my graduation, actually. Where were I you? Just, I was there. I just didn't feel like going. Oh, okay. <laughs> the both well, of those events are just yeah. boring for me. And I did it in high school, and I was just like, you know what? I can't do this again. Yeah, that's what I wish. I, I didn't want to go either, but my fam eventually convinced me. But for my sister, like these ceremonies are a big deal. So I'm really glad I went and spent time with her. Nothing more important than family. Yeah, law degree is a big deal. Yeah, she's very happy. I think she's gonna, she's one of those ambitious types, you know, lame. Is there a special kind of law that she wants to practice? She's not quite sure yet, but I'm hoping corporate <laughs> so she can do, do businesses with me. We got like a Harvey Specter vibe going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get like cheap law work done, you know? I'm sure she'll help you regardless. Yeah, but if she doesn't go into corporate, then she won't, it puts a ceiling on her help, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yes, today we don't have a law-related topic, unfortunately. That would be pretty cool. But today we're talking about making product pivots. Aditi and I are going to be going over three topics each. We really love doing this format. Let us know if you like hearing this format. We think the episodes are really fun to do. Then for our news topic, we are going over the news that came out earlier this month that the U.S. is committing $500 million to middle America to build out some new tech hubs across the country. So product pivots, for those of you who don't know, is the strategic decision of altering or changing certain aspects of your product or service to better align with the market conditions. Say you've got a market that is changing and competition is catching up to you and your customers are starting to go to the alternatives more and more. It's time to make a product pivot so that you can stay ahead of your competition and offer something new and different to clients that they will pay for. There's all types of ways to make a, a product pivot. So example that I just said is, is more like a feature pivot, but you could also pivot market segments, business models, technologies, or distribution channels. And that the do you have any thoughts on why making a product pivot is important? Well, speaking from my personal experience, when I did it, I think it's incredibly important, especially in the beginning, when you're starting out, you're trying to figure out how your products may play in the market. Mm -hmm. It can be an incredibly important thing to really be open to the idea of changing whatever idea you're, you started out with. Yeah. And that's really what I did when I did a product pivot, but there's also a lot of different ways and we're going to get into that. Yeah. So for you, it sounds like you adapted to what the market was or mm -hmm. were you looking for different opportunities? I didn't adapt as much as I, when I went in with a certain idea, I realized that that idea wasn't unique. We sit in our little bubble and we think that our ideas are ideas that no one else has had. And then we go out, do research about it. And then we realize that everyone's had that idea. I see. But in that research, you also find a lot of 
gaps. It's actually my first point. So we can just get into that. So my first point of how to do or why you would do a product pivot would be competitive analysis. So what I mean by that is understanding the market and what competitive landscape that you're going into and to understand, okay, so what are other companies doing? How are you differentiating yourself against these companies? And if you're not finding a good enough differentiation in your product, you're most likely going into a hyper competitive and low yield product market. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you need to ask yourself, okay, so I've done all this research. Are there any gaps that I've seen in other places? So for in the case of mine, I went in thinking that I would build a front-end personalization engine. But as I did my research, I realized a lot of people are doing that. It's a very overdone idea. But I also realized that no one's using consumer insights to optimize supply chain. No one's worried about the after checkout part. Mm, so, or the before check or the before yeah checkout. everyone's focusing on before checkout no one's focused on after checkout so mm. that's what i really did for my competitive analysis i did the research that i needed to do and then i realized there is this gap it's just not what i was thinking i was going to be doing but yeah that's not a bad thing i found a great idea from what i from the competitive analysis that i did mm. the concept was the same but the 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 application was a little exactly and, and you found that out through competitive analysis mm-hmm. and market study yeah that makes a lot of sense cool from for my first point it's a little different product managers are always looking at risk and how to take strategic risk and mitigate all the other risk so less specific to competitive analysis but also related to the market how do we like really minimize the risks and choose the right market segment to help us achieve the right outcome? So uh, there's, like I said before, there's feature pivots, market segment pivot, pivots, business model pivots, technology and channel pivots. And the biggest thing for a product manager when thinking about a pivot is validating the market segment. Is there a market for this thing? And I think it's really similar to like what y- your point was is that, okay, you're looking at the market segment and you're realizing, oh no, there's actually a lot of competition here. So this might not be the best. So where else can I do this that minimizes risk, right? Yeah, exactly. Cool. What's your second point, Aditi? So my second point is building on top of competitive analysis. It's customer interactions. Say you have an MVP or you've started selling your product at a certain point. And you've been interacting with potential customers. You've interacted with current customers. So a big question you want to be asking when you're doing these customer interviews is how are people interacting with your product? I've used this example before. I love using the gong example where they went in as a sales enablement tool, sales tool. Mm-hmm. But when they started looking at how people were interacting with their products, they realized that they're much more than a sales tool. They are a marketing tool. They are an engineering tool. They are an executive mm-hmm. tool. They're it's all useful high. everywhere. It's useful everywhere. So it really helps you understand this can be around like your messaging pivot. It can be the same exact product, but if you message it a little differently, mm. realize, oh, this product can do so much more than how we're using it. Yeah. You've we- seen other customers using it that way. Yeah. So the Gong team had no idea or they just thought it was a future thing that they could expand into different markets. I'm sure they had some sort of an idea of how 
What? But they did initially start out as a sales enablement. Yeah. And then they just, their product just got used. Yeah. That's awesome. Actually, I'm a huge fan of making products that are really clear, like how and what it does. And that way, if, if people really understand how something works, they can adapt the tool to be used in the ways they want it to be used, you know? For, for my second point, I, again, thinking about from a product manager's perspective, when we're making a pivot, we want to make sure that there's a long-term goal and a, a very solid value proposition that can stand the test of time and that we can really build a big product on top of or a really good product on top of. And I think that's really important because when you're in that in that tunnel vision, bl- blinders on, thinking about, okay, what is my pivot going to be? You might get blinded by what is failing now. So say your revenue goals are are like no one's paying for your product. Then you might be biased to do a pivot where people will pay for, but then you're missing out on something else. And so I think it's really important to validate that there's something holistic that can be built there and not just based on what you're pivoting away from. Yeah, it can be hard to separate short-term and long-term goals sometimes. For sure. And and I think really good products are aligned in that way. And so when making a pivot, that's the time where the risk of being misaligned is is high. So just make sure that you've got a solid long-term vision and value proposition. That makes sense. All right, on to my last one. So my last one is around realignment. What I mean by realignment is you set out when you first started your company trying to do a certain thing, solving a certain problem. But then a big customer comes along and they say, I'm going to pay you a lot of money. I need you to build such such thing for me. It Uh seems like a great idea because they're going to be paying you a lot of money for it. But as you do that, there's a tendency to go down that rabbit hole too far to the point Mm. where you've created such a customized product for that one company that that product isn't going to sell anywhere else anymore. Yep, for sure. And it's hard to say no to an offer like that because it's hard for any growth stage startup to say no to money and say no to a customer willing to pay them for to build right Mm -hmm. so it's a difficult decision to make but there are times when you have to realize okay i've gone way too far down this rabbit hole of creating a very customized product and and i have to differentiate service to this big company that i've been working with for so long with my actual product that i'm trying to sell to many other customers right Mm -hmm. and that's what i mean by realignment it's just what what you've been doing for this one company has to align with your longer term vision. It's related to your long term goals, like in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah. You have to make sure that your long term goals are still being achieved. And even though there's this fear of a short term, like maybe you're not be might not be able to get the same like revenue from this one customer, but you have to you have to look at the long term. Like, will this product help me bring in 10 more customers? Will it help me bring in a hundred more customers? If not, then maybe it is time to think about realigning and think about what you actually started off and what you wanted to do yeah and but, but that's is that post pivot Aditi so like you're 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 now making a pivot and then suddenly this big customer comes along and it's, I think um, everything. 
it's not post pivot. I think the rabbit hole is in a way an unwanted pivot that you've made and you didn't realize it. A lot of companies I feel like don't uh, realize th- that they're making that pivot or they're yeah. making that sacrifice of their product. It's an unknown pivot. It's an unknown pivot. Rarely and unknown they pivot. don't and they don't realize Ooh, when they start stuff, doing it. Huh? Genius over here. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, they don't realize that they have made this pivot and that in their short term, they feel like they yeah. are building something that they because you think that one customer wanting something will mean that another customer will want it, but that's yeah. not always the case. Or or even just a little bit of tunnel vision and you're like, oh my God, this client. Yeah. So huge. We got a whale, guys. Yeah, it's like oh a million God, dollar account. Stuff, and then suddenly half the team is working on this yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you forget whale, about and... your vision and you completely yeah. forget about what's going on. Yep. Half the team is working on the product for the whale and the other half is working on the product for everyone else. And it's like, what the heck is going on? Companies end up falling apart because of this. Mm. So you have to realign to the original vision that you have. And so I guess it's an unwanted pivot and you have to, you have to acknowledge the unwanted pivot and go back to what you were doing. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Aditi, I don't know why I let you go first this time because i don't want to do my last one my you like expanded the scope of this podcast and it's, it was really good my mine mine is going back to like the the process of making that pivot and it's it's really like any product manager's bread and butter doing the experiments and doing that build measure learn cycle and i think it's really important to not lose sight of the fundamentals just because we're doing a pivot doesn't mean that the fundamentals don't apply. How do you break down that pivot into smaller manageable steps so that you can ensure that you're getting to the right place for the right people? And that looks like your typical experiments and reducing risk and testing everything out and making sure that you're going into a good places. Yeah. You want to spend the least amount of cost to find the most amount of value. So whatever that process process looks like or whatever the outcomes are that's what the the experimentation process is for so yeah less less big and grand than these unknown <laughs> pivot point but but still super valid and really important do not lose lose sight of the fundamental product process awesome let's move on to our news subject Aditi, you had brought this one up would you like to yeah i brought this well? i think i brought this up a couple of weeks ago the news topic is that the u.s has committed 500 million to middle america tech hubs so i i actually don't i don't think i remember exactly what cities it is yeah it actually didn't say in the article it didn't okay yeah. in that case it didn't say what exact cities it's actually funny this is a midwest but it's still it's still around the same idea um, my parents were driving back from Florida the last weekend or the yeah. weekend before, and they got stuck there. They got a flat tire in the middle of South Carolina, and uh-huh. they had no idea where they were. The closest town was like ten miles out, and they have a Tesla. So for Teslas, the the good and bad thing about Teslas is that the only person that can fix a Tesla is a Tesla, Tesla? dealership. Yeah. You can't take it anywhere else because no one's going to have the tire. No one's going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. So, and the closest Tesla dealership where they 
broke down was 100 and something miles. It was like 110 oh, no. or something. Uh-huh. It just makes you realize how big the United States is and how like how vast, vast. Yeah, it can sure. be and how empty it really is. Yeah, huge um, population too. Yeah, so you have like huge concentrations of population in these big cities like New York where I am or San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But then you real then you don't realize sometimes how empty a lot of states really can be. Yeah, and actually th- I think that you bring up a really good point that like investing in these tech hubs has a lot of benefits, right? Like it'll pull some of the people from the big cities out because okay, like tech people want to work where there's other tech people and so it'll be able to create some community and then it'll be able to develop more spots throughout throughout the country where people actually want to It's well aligned with what happened post-COVID, right? Post-COVID, a lot of people moved outside of cities. So like San Francisco and New York are dealing with a lot of empty office space because people have just stopped coming into office or they moved, yeah. they moved out of New York City into smaller, smaller cities or something yeah. like that. And I guess this aligns with what people are already doing. People mm-hmm. are already moving outside and that's really what they're doing. They're trying to just nurture what people have. Yeah, they're, have they're done trying to push COVID. that COVID wave a little yeah. which makes sense because I think pre-COVID and now we're post-COVID, I think everyone is going to go back to the cities. That's that's what the main trend is. And so the government coming in here and saying, hey, let's uh, make some tech hubs for people to stay in those places is a good idea. And and it's well-timed as well, because I think the economy needs more tech. I also talent. feel I also feel like this something like this can help with the rising cost of living in these tech hubs that currently exist. For sure. If if you were to like create a tech hub, so a friend of mine, she just got into medical school. She's going to Kansas City, right? And she got an apartment for less than a thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I know. Oh, I was I was so surprised when I hear it. I still get so shocked when I that hear that number. And if you were to create like a tech hub there, it would be so much cheaper, and you would redistribute this concentration of like rising rents in New York outside yeah. because at least a few less people will be coming to New York. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What and and to my point was that like it it'll promote more people being involved in tech. And as we see AI and tech just becoming a dominant player in the economy and in our world with the loss of a lot of jobs is going to happen. And so those jobs will be redistributed to tech. And so having more hubs and and create more well-paying jobs and establishing more innovation will help yeah. uh, uh, everyone out. I don't know if you heard this, the point where... I've heard a few people say this, but they say that every company eventually has to become a tech company in some way mm, because they're cool. all dealing with data. They're all dealing with cybersecurity too. Cybersecurity. They're all online. There's mm-hmm. very few companies that can get by without being online. Yeah. So you have to become a tech company in some way or another at some point. And so you might as well have that nice distribution so that mm-hmm. everybody in the country can get in on it. Yeah. Exactly. One of the one of the problems though that the is that I don't know there's a stat somewhere I had had oh I think last week's stat right about some seventy percent of VC money comes from the Bay 
Do you yeah. remember that from last week? Yeah, uh, you, you told us about that. And so, like, if all of BC is in Cali, this is part part of the reason why the Bay is such is such a tech hub because that's where the money is. Yeah, uh, but people are moving out. Austin's up and coming. A lot of people are moving to Austin. Elon Musk is there. <laughs> I I don't think that I'm a little bit more skeptical about the trend of people moving out being like substantial and also being substantial for the money like being in from Canada where it's been a long long slog to like get Americans to invest in Canadian companies it's taken a lot of like time and brand that we've had to build up now when I go I had gone to the Bay Area last year and people saw my engineering ring in Canada if you graduate from engineering you get a ring and people saw that and they're like oh you're from Waterloo which is one of the top engineering schools in Canada so this brand is slowly starting to come up and I think for all of these tech hubs it's gonna take time as well and that's one of the things that I feel is gonna detract from uh, from this it will the bay area of venture capitalists be be extremely fast moving into these spaces i i don't i don't think so but i also think that the remote culture and the fact that we're all online will help this like this distribution of the concentrated people in san francisco and new york yeah for sure for sure because i'm seeing like even as i do like job applications i'm seeing more and more jobs that are say like out out of smaller cities there was Mm, even one that i saw that was out of south carolina actually (laughs) you could go back (laughs) north carolina actually but i think it's also a a process of educating the the talent too like it took a while for us canadians to start to learn how to pitch to american investors and how to build pitching is one part of it but building is the other part how do we build stuff that's strong enough to to warrant like American investors to eyes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, really good. I would love for more of the the country of America and Canada too, honestly, to be benefiting from tech. We're the, the blue wave. We're a blue wave. So. It's coming regardless whatever you do. Time for fun facts, Aditi. Do you want to do yours first? All right. Mine's from ChatGPT again. It's similar to what the theme that we're going for which is pretty light so for mine is that did you know that the computer term bug was actually originated from a literal bug i actually didn't know this back in 1947 while working on the harvard mark ii grace hopper a computer scientist found a moth trapped in one of the relays she removed the moth and documented it as the first actual case of a bug being found the term debugging was then coined to describe the process of fixing the computer glitches. So the next time you encounter a computer bug, you can, you can blame and the original bug. So there's two things that I find really cool about this. One, that bug was like an actual bug in the computer. But the other thing I find really cool is that the first person to coin the word was a woman. Which is really oh, cool. that I actually really have to cool. correct you on that. Grace Hopper is is not just a woman she's the pioneer of computer programming one of the first programmers ever and a navy admiral 
she's way more fantastic than coining the term bug. <laughs> now you're just undermining my fun facts. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm adding to it. Yeah, yeah. I, I love no, that. No, but she's an incredible woman. She's really cool. And yes, it's great fantastic. to see women doing so much in computer science, even back then. There was a time before computer science was a male-dominated field. And yeah. it's absolutely fantastic. Mine, mine is also related to computer animals. The first computer mouse was made out of wood, which is pretty crazy. And maybe that's what, what attracted all the bugs. But yeah, no, I'm so glad we got a Grace Hopper reference in our podcast. That makes me very happy. All right. Thanks, everyone. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. We want to talk about products and we're doing this to learn and express ourselves. We want to hear from you. So please reach out to us on LinkedIn if you have any ideas. I'm Arjun and I'm with Aditi. We would love to have you be a part of our show. Aditi, did you know that sneezes can travel up to 100 miles per hour? I actually did know that. Did you know you can break your nose if you prevent yourself from sneezing? What? Really? Oh my yeah. God. Okay, my <laughs> to do that. You can actually injure yourself if you if you stop yourself from sneezing. So oh my god! If you're okay. someone who does that, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. All right, great, <laughs> fantastic advice from the podcast. All right, thank you everyone for listening. Bye. Bye.